Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing again. Believe in That's right. When you don't know what to do, just keep on breathing. From the City of Angels in Los Angeles and from the Big Apple in New York City. So welcome to all my listeners out there in Radio Land. I'm Dave, the Caregiver's Caregiver at caregiverdave.com. And we're also coming to you live and on demand 24-7 on numerous syndicated radio and podcast networks on 26 global audio and video platforms like iHeartRadio, iTunes, YouTube, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Vimeo, Stitcher Radio, Blog Talk Radio, and a whole bunch more. And in fact, we're proud to be voted number one caregiver podcast of the top 50 on Player FM and number two caregiver podcast on Feedspot out of the top 60 and number two on CaringVillage.com. And we have an especially exciting show planned for you today as founder and executive director of Shelly Beach Communications. Shelly provides editing, mentoring, co-writing, and creative services to individuals working to bring their books to life. She's the recipient of the Christie Award for Fiction, the Sila Award, and the Golden Scroll Award for Inspirational Nonfiction, and the Reader's Favorite Award, Gold Medallion for Devotional Nonfiction. She and her husband, Dan, care for Dan's father with Parkinson's in their home for nearly eight years, and Shelley's mother with Alzheimer's for more than six years. Wow. She and her husband, Dan, live in Cedar Falls, Iowa. I, I did a TV show in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Wonderful. Two adult children and six grandchildren. Well, I've got seven, so I got you beat. (laughs) Before (laughs) we get started, I want to take this moment to thank my last week's guest, Dr. Hemingway, a holistic and integrative medical doctor who believes in prevention over prescription and author of Preventable. And just to remind you, you can watch or listen to that interview and all our interviews, including this one on our membership website, caregiverdave.com, or any of our other 26 global networks that I mentioned earlier. Okay, enough of that. Shelly, welcome to the Caregiver Dave Show. We're so excited to have you on. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm excited to be here. And we have a mutual friend, Stephen. Siler, yes. Siler. I had to yes. think there for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> and he actually wrote our theme song, um, Just Keep Breathing. Yes. So we're, I... we're excited. He's a great guy. And how do, you, guy. how do you know Stephen? I know Steve because um, he invited me to be part of his one of his projects for Music for the Soul. He was working on the Dignity Project for Caregivers yeah. and asked to me to be one of his advisors on the songs that he was developing. He knew um, he knew about my my background in caring for parents uh, with Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and and other people that I had come alongside in their, in their illnesses. And um, so I, I helped him with the, the dignity project and I came onto the board of music for the soul. And that was, that was a long time ago. And I just recently kind of helped him through his journey with his dad, with um, his father's um, Alzheimer's. And you're still a caregiver. I, in the sense that, well, I think I'm always a caregiver. Um, I'm I'm on the I'm on a caregiving team at our church, okay. and right now one of my best friends is terminal, mm. and I'm caring for her. Um, 
there are young women that come into our church who have been homeless or have been very challenged in their backgrounds. And so there uh, have been some young women who have lived in my home, um, who've, you know, just had really challenging backgrounds and had them live with us, stay with us for a while. I have a friend who um, lived with us for, um, for 10 years and, um, and yeah, she was, she had really challenging health issues and um, she's actually a radio radio producer in uh, for Salem, San Francisco. And um, so um, Salem out here in Los Angeles too. Yes. And uh, she's actually with me here tonight. And uh, it's uh, we're, we're the best of friends and work together and her life totally, totally turned around. She had extreme trauma and PTSD and she needed PTSD treatment, but she didn't really quite know what that was. So, so I, yes, I'm always talking about PTSD and caregiving and all kinds of things. You know, I always ask a question to my guests before I start asking them questions. And I forgot to do that with you because I just got distracted into your story. But um, the question is, who is Shelly Beach and why was she placed on this earth? Um, I think I was placed on this earth to um, to encourage people and to connect them to other people um, because they they need to know they need to know about about God, why they're here, and they need to know purpose. They need to connect to purpose in their lives. And, um, and so I think there are a lot of hopeless people out there, a lot of people who don't, don't really have purpose, and they, they feel um, burnout and, um, and discouraged. And so I think I'm, I'm kind of a, a hope giver, mm-hmm. and I, I tend to talk to people everywhere I go, whether I'm on a bus or a train or, <laughs> or traveling or whatever it is. And, um, and that just comes naturally to me. Well, I'm sorry my co-host Adrian isn't here today because she did what you did, and that is to care for her mother and her mother-in-law. And so you're taking care, you took care of your mother and your father-in-law. Yes. Um, how did you come to that decision? Was it a difficult one? Um, did you wonder if you were capable of it? Did you and your husband, uh, were of one sound, one mind of that, you know, how did that go? We were both raised in homes where grandparents were part of our family. Um, Dan had a grandma living in his home and she suffered with dementia and, um, and I was raised in a home where, uh, grandma lived with us and, um, she suffered with a a number of things, but she actually lived in my bedroom for a while and she was from, uh, from Sweden and she wow. only spoke a little bit of English. We both were on the same page when we got married, Dan and I, and it was something that was kind of like a um, non-negotiable for both of us that we wanted to be able to do that for, for grandparents if they needed it or wanted it. Well, not <laughs> and, even a discussion. It's just, okay. That's what we've got to do. Yep. And the, the situations for both his father and my parents were, uh, we came upon a crisis and very, very suddenly his father, we got a message from Missouri where his dad was living that he was acting very, very oddly and people were worried about his, about his mental abilities. And we immediately went down and got him and brought him into our home. And then there was a psychiatric assessment and some other things, so. And he had and then, dementia or what? Um, yes, they're, they're often with 
Parkinson's disease is a dementia that comes along with it. Not always, but there was with him. He was having hallucinations. He was extre- had extreme, extreme anxiety. And um, it was actually quite difficult to manage. We had to have place him in psychiatric care for a while to get his meds regulated. That was very hard for us. We yeah. weren't raised in the context where that was ever done. You know, I was going to ask you if you guys felt like at times you bit off more than you can chew. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I write about that in, in my books because um, a lot of this was way kind of was way out of our experience. Uh-huh, the, uh-huh. Um, uh, we at, at times I was I was living in Iowa and we had Dan's father with us and we had our son had had a traumatic brain injury while he was in college wow. and um, he was recovering from that. Our daughter had gone to serve after the tsunami um, over on Nias Island over um, in the area in Indonesia. And she had come back with extreme post-traumatic stress disorder. So, um, and then I was driving to Michigan every other weekend to help care for my mother with Alzheimer's. And um, it was I had somebody say to me, you need to write a book. And I thought, and I, I told them literally, I said, well, if I wrote a book, you need to cover with a button on the front you'd push the button in and then it would go, ah! but God, yeah. um, but it became, it became my first caregiver book. So, um, which is really the, the theme was, you know, it, life is crazy and seems like it's out of control, but it, it never is. And God is good. Wow. So, how can we know the most pressing needs of someone who is caregiving? A lot of my audience are burned out caregivers. I mean, they're already there. Um, what do you recommend for someone watching who's, who's there, who's having that rough time, who's wondering if they bit off more than they can chew? What do you do? What did you do? Well, people, people didn't often ask me, I don't think. And I think that's become one of the the things that really presses me is to to ask people what they need and if if they're sometimes caregivers don't even know what to say they don't even know what to articulate and uh-huh. so for instance when a when a young woman that i knew and had known all of her life when when she suddenly lost her husband to um cancer and she had four boys to raise so i you know, and I was asking her what she needed. She was just overwhelmed. She was so overwhelmed with thinking, what do I need? I, I can't yeah. even put it into words. So sometimes they don't know what they need. No. So I said, okay, um, you probably need somebody to take care of your car mechanics. Right. And she said, yes. And I said, you probably yeah. need somebody to take care of the car, the house repairs. Right. And she said, yes. And I said, you probably need somebody to help send your boys to camp. Right. And she said, yes. And I said, and you probably need. And so I, I got together some three by five cards. They were all different colors. And, and I divided up all these different categories. And I wrote those, I wrote these specific things along with some other categories, like um, helping with meals. Um, Her boys were, you know, getting ready to go into high school. And um, so meals and, you know, some laundry, light housekeeping stuff. And I took them to church. And I gave him to the church secretary, who was a very efficient person. And I said, uh-huh. now it's your job 
to find the people who have the gifts and they all know, they all know Amy. And it was a small town of 1200 people. And I said, she needs this stuff done for her and she won't ask, but I will ask for her. And, and now I've asked you to ask for her and you can just tell people, um, you know, Shelly made me do this <laughs> and blame it on me if you want to. But um, all those things were taken care of for her and, and more. And it was, it put her in a position where she was able to focus on her sons. So often, often there are things that really are very practical that we can think when somebody's overwhelmed with a lot, with a loss of a loved one or, or they're dying of cancer. I mean, I know when I go visit my friend, Jean, who's, who's dying of cancer right now. Um, I always ask her if I can bring her her favorite meal. I always ask her if she needs groceries because she has difficulty getting out. I always take, take, I always take her postage stamps because aren't we all running out of postage stamps these days? <laughs> aren't <laughs> you no- a wonderful caregiver? Wow. <laughs> well, if we think in terms I of... I ever need care, I'll call you. <laughs> <laughs> I just... You probably people, have a waiting list. If people are if people are overwhelmed because they can't think of of what they need, I think if we put a little thought into it, we can probably what would I be overwhelmed with if I suddenly lost my husband? I would need help with finances, figuring figuring them out. You know, somebody send me someone to sit beside me and help figure out what I do first, what I do second. And I think being able to find people who, who maybe not everybody maybe thinks the way that I do in terms of doing this, but I've, I've kind of very organized. Well, I've been doing this probably because of the, I had a, I had a father who had a brain like a filing cabinet Mm. and he did everything in a very organized manner. And my, my daughter asked for a filing system when she was 11 years old, (laughs) she wanted files. Um, And um, finding ways to um, find match up somebody who has a, who has a need with somebody who has a talent and, you know, Somebody who's, you know, somebody who likes to trim trees was somebody who just had a, you know, tree branches fall on their, on the, you know, the roof of their house or whatever. Um, I think the church needs to think in terms of how we can do this in a, in an organized fashion and, um, and how we can think this way as, um, as, Jesus followers, how we, yeah. how we can think proactively just about who there, there are all kinds of single young mothers in my church. And um, I just I babysat for three, you know, for three young children last night, because there's a single young mom who doesn't have, she doesn't have um, anybody to babysit wow. kids. So she can go to um, it's a, it's a, one of our groups, our groups do everything from it axe throwing to motorcycle riding. (laughs) They're all, they're all based around biblical Bible study and, but they do other things as well. And she needs time to herself. She's got three little boys from the age of one to eight or nine and they're high energy. So, yeah. So churches and synagogues can really get involved 
in the caregiving process. Nobody thinks about that. No, they, they don't. And I think one of the problems is that churches often don't budget to caregiving needs. Mm. That's one of my, that's one of my biggest pet peeves messages would be that churches need to budget to caregiver needs. Because if you look at what Jesus did, he healed the sick, he healed people's hearts. He, he went to the, he, he, went to the poor. This is what we're supposed to be. This is who we are supposed to be. This is, this is, um, I think caregiving is one of the most Christ-like things we can ever do because there is no payback for us. Yeah. There is no, not on earth anyway, maybe in heaven. Not on earth. No, not on earth. But when I'm, um, I had an aunt that was um, going blind and, and she was not a kind person. Uh Um, And I was one of the few people who really was still in her life at the end. And every time I went to see her, I packed cleaning supplies. I would take a really big purse and pack all kinds of cleaning supplies Mm -hmm. in her purse because she had a downstairs bathroom and, and her upstairs bathroom would be just filthy, but she didn't know it. She couldn't see it. So I'd go in while, without her knowing and clean that bathroom. And, and she didn't even know she was in a dirty bathroom, but I knew. So Other people were living with her? No, she was all by herself. Well, who was dirtying the upstairs bathroom? Um, she had a little elevator chair that went up. Oh, she, she, was, up, she was up. dirtying it. She was upstairs, but she could go up in, on her little elevator chair. I see. So... Um, now, did you have any siblings? I have a brother. Yes. And uh, how involved was he in caregiving? He he was involved. When I say we were that I was caring for my parents, I want to be sure that um, my dad my dad had a crisis with my mother. He was hiding how how hard it was getting to care for yeah. her, and then all of a sudden he just he fell apart and. Yeah. We instantly had to do something. So mom and dad came to my house and then it became a situation where they went back and forth for a month at a time from my house to my brother's. And that was, that was, that worked for a while, but my mother had dementia. You can't, you can't do that to someone with dementia. It's just too disorienting for them. And at one point she was moved to my brother's my brother's home full time for care. How'd that and work out? That well, I will tell you that at the time it happened, it was extremely painful for me. Um, um, the communication at the time that it took place was was I don't want to go into details because everything has been healed and and cool. is great, but the communication really hurt me very much and. I was, I'd always envisioned taking care of my mother until she was gone. Mm. But the simple truth was I, I didn't have any children who lived near me. It was just my husband and myself. I have multiple sclerosis. My husband has mobility issues. And when, when my parents went to live um, over uh, with my brother and his wife, he had, he had three 
children who lived within a couple of miles of him and they all had children. Now my, my mom and dad had all these doting grandchildren that they could just love on. They, um, my mom was very quickly put in an Alzheimer's um, facility that only had like placement there for like five or six people with, with Alzheimer's, but my dad refused to leave her. So he went in with her and she got excellent, excellent, excellent care. And she was surrounded, surrounded by a pack of family. And it was just a very, very good caregiving situation for her. And it was also a very healing time for my brother and my father, I think. This is my observation. I think it was a really good time for them. And I had I had, had some really good healing time with my father um, while he was with us. And I think that um, this gave my brother extra time to like be alone with my dad, in my opinion. And I just, I saw beautiful changes in both my father and my, and my brother that I thought were, were awesome. So, you know, it's not all about us. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, yeah, well, whenever there's siblings involved, there is conflict sometimes, you know, um, uh, but, and you had some conflict and you resolved it. What's a good way to resolve sibling conflict? Cause a lot of people are going through that. I think one thing we have to remember is a lot of time, a lot of times there's false guilt in, in sibling conflict. A lot of times people place expectations on us that don't have anything to do with right and wrong. It has to do with the way they do it versus the way we do it. And we have to learn how to sift through um, true guilt and false guilt Mm-hmm. And just dismiss false guilt. And if we've truly done something wrong, um, then we have to we have to make that right and and deal with that. But we also have to just dismiss false guilt and let that pass because th- there will be a lot of that in sibling situations. Um, you know the way the way you um, whatever keep mom's room and the way I keep mom's room or whether I change the sheets twice a week or you change the sheets once a week or those kinds of things. Um, The other thing is that um, we have to sometimes just let things go, which I had to do. I just had to let some things go. And I, I, it took a long period of time for me to just um, let my heart heal and, um, and and let my heart heal and let things putting putting their needs above yours. Yes. Putting let you know what's the big the big concern is my parents' welfare. Yeah. That's the big issue. Because we tell caregivers all the time, put your needs first. But when it comes to, you know, putting parents in a facility or moving them in with a sibling, you really have to ask, you know, what's best for them. When we moved my mother we looked for a place that was close to all of us. And, you know, there weren't very many good places. We had to go like 35 miles to the South and it was more inconvenient for us to visit, but it was mm-hmm. best for her. So we, in that case, you put her needs first, you know? Yes. yes. And we have to make um, the decision based on what we, what we know our parents 
what we know our, our real parents would want. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I know what my mom or my dad would have wanted when they were healthy, you know, before kind of the medical demise begins and, mm-hmm. and their decision-making begins to be degraded. So yeah, there's, um, there's letting go of offenses and putting them first. Um, and then if, if, if you need it, then bring in a trusted mediator, somebody yeah. that you can find that may be a family friend that everybody kind of thinks is, is okay. And not at one person's side or whatever. Well, it's, it's hard to believe how fast time goes when we're doing this, we are running out of time. So in the final minutes, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your book and how people can get a hold of you? how they can get a hold of the book. Well, they can get a hold of me. Um, they can email me at uh, sanscribbler55 at yahoo.com, or they can go to my website at shellybeachonline.com. Uh, they can go to Caregiving Journey on Facebook, or um, I'm, uh, I'm Shelly Jean Beach for my author stuff on Facebook, or um, you can find me on Facebook, um, at also, at, at care, did I mention caregiving journey? I'm not sure. Yes. 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 A lot of options. Yep. So, well, what do you hope to uh, that people will get at from your book? I hope they get encouragement. I hope they they get laughter. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know <laughs> caregiving is so challenging. It's so difficult. It it's so heart rending. And, you know, um, but you have to laugh when you can. And there are moments when, I mean, there are moments when my mother, I, you know, I remember the first time I heard my mother curse. It was when, you know, it was when she was like 82 and I was trying to help her get a bra on and it was, and she was not having it. She just was not. And I, and I heard those words come out of her mouth and, um, and I just laughed because it was so not her. And I, you know, was thinking about the cries of the afflicted. Um, it was part of her affliction and that those sensors in her brain were not there anymore. It's not funny that she was, you know, doing that, but it, I, I found humor in that moment um, sure. in the middle of this struggle. I, I hope people, I hope they feel known. I hope they feel known and that they feel they find hope. So those are some of the, my, some of my goals. Well, well, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a great interview. And to my audience, remember that all our live shows become recorded pod and video casts, and you can purchase my newly released book, secrets from the hammock, uncommon wisdom for uncommon times is a great book. That's changing lives all over the world. And it's available wherever books are sold. And my website, caregiverdave.com, which is a free membership support community, lots of tools, resources, and free gifts. And check out my Facebook page, Caregiver Dave, a community of 34,000 caregivers. And if you click the like or follow button on whatever platform you're watching or listening to this interview on, it helps us reach even more caregivers by improving Google's search engine algorithms. So thanks again to all my listeners out there all over the world, tuning in every Wednesday, making us the number one caregiver podcast on the internet. So until next time, same time, same channel. Thank you, Shelly, and thank you, everyone out there. May God richly bless you all. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
I'm Dave Nassani. My fourth book, Secrets from the Hammock, Uncommon Wisdom for Uncommon Times, is a number one bestseller on Amazon. As a young boy, I was told I possessed an unusual amount of wisdom for my age. As a young man, I found myself counseling friends and older family members whenever they needed answers to their problems. Then at 21, I read the Bible for the very first time and learned how King Solomon asked God for wisdom instead of riches, yet he received both. I was so impressed that I too asked God for wisdom. Soon after, I discovered when lying on my hammock, I would receive wisdom from God. This book is the result of my passion to share with the world wisdom's tremendous benefits. Join me as I reveal practical aspects of wisdom for the mind, body, and spirit. 31 lessons I learned from God that can change your life. Available in hardcover, audible, Kindle, and paperback. Wherever books are sold. I've spoken all over the country and London and am available to speak at your event. Contact me at hammockwisdom.com. Sometimes it feels like the sun will never rise, like the birds will never sing. Uh. 